0: Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. Remember, more information about the show, more information about our guests can always be found on social media. Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Like and follow us there. Instagram and Twitter at Rodney Lear on air. Or you can listen to the show anytime you like. Head to your favorite podcast app like Podcast One and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. In the studio with me now is Jeff Cease. Jeff is the author of a new book called Tomorrowland, The Past, Present, and Future of Disney's Most Changed Land. It's our pleasure to welcome Jeff Cease back to Sunday Morning Magazine. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. My pleasure. Welcome back, I should say. (laughs) Yeah. Good to be back. So let's talk about the book now, the book Tomorrowland. Why did you decide to write a book about Tomorrowland, of all things?
1: Well, I've been interested in Disney history and Disneyland history, like the the park for quite a while, and I was kind of looking for an interesting project outside of my normal Cincinnati uh, history writing. And Tomorrowland was my favorite part of Disneyland. Growing up in California, I used to visit Disneyland a couple times a year, and I would spend most of my time in Tomorrowland. And um, another impetus for this is, you know, without Walt Disney guiding the futurism of the park No one quite knows what to do with Tomorrowland It's hard to keep up with tomorrow And so if you go online You see lots of people complaining about Tomorrowland's broken How to fix it And that got me thinking Well this could be an interesting book project To figure out not only the little nitty gritty Of like who did what And who designed what this But what's the vision of Tomorrowland And is it still there
0: Okay do you remember your favorite attraction At Tomorrowland
1: As a kid, I was a big – I'm a big – still am a big Star Wars fan. So Star Tours was a a really big one for me. It's still probably my favorite ride. But I also like some of – there was a ride that uh, Star Tours actually replaced called uh, Adventure Through Inner Space. It's a very interesting attraction. It's very science-based and you kind of went into these – Cars, kind of like the same sort of uh, cars that they have at the Haunted Mansion and you would be shrunk down into the atomic level. That was the idea and you would go into uh, the atom of, of a water molecule and they had these giant – started off as a snowflake, these big styrofoam snowflakes and you would shrink down and it would talk all about the science of, okay. of that. And it was really kind of mind-bending. <laughs> um, And it was just, it wasn't an adventure like, you know, you weren't shooting things like you do in a lot of rides these days. It was just kind of a science, but a neat thing. Um, It's unfortunate that you always have to change these things. As technology gets better, they say, what's the new thing? And Star Tours has actually replaced that ride.
0: So let's talk about the origins of Tomorrowland. It all started with Walt Disney himself. What was Walt Disney's inspiration and vision behind Tomorrowland?
1: Well, you know, a lot of the other parts of Disneyland were about the past, but, and he, there's, they say that he has one foot in, past and nostalgia and one foot in the future. And the futurism was kind of an area of Walt that we kind of forget about because it was a futurism from 65 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, he was really fascinated with technology. So he wasn't so much a science fiction fan. He was a science and future fan. And he liked to see how life would get better. And he wanted to explore that. And he was also inspired by uh, like world's fairs and exhibits. And so the kind of the early – Tomorrowland, he wasn't real happy with because it's such a weird, nebulous idea of the future and how do you get that um, where everything else was based on you know the past and he can kind of build off of that. With Tomorrowland, he started off with these corporate – sponsored exhibits from like monsanto talking about chemistry there was the hall of aluminum fame and the bathroom of the future not not great exhibits but that's what they could afford at the time but he had grand visions for things like the monorail that he wanted to do and um, a perfect example of his what what he wanted to see was a thing called the house of the future and it was um, a future house built by monsanto and mit in boston and it, it was an all plastic house. It was a modular home, looked like a cross or a plus sign, and everything in it. And they had things, microwaves, and you know these special uh, bathrooms and kitchens and things that were all of the future. And everything in it was plastic, um, and it was very, very durable, uh, more so than they ever imagined. So when they actually tore it down. The uh, wrecking ball bounced (laughs) off of the plastic. It was so hard. um, So that was kind of an idea of what he wanted to see, like how technology will make our lives better. And that vision was um, he was interested in solving transportation issues. So he came up with um, new ideas and such a visionary. He literally came up with things that nobody had ever done before. But we are so used to them that we forget where they came from.
0: Okay. So let me ask you this now doing the research for this project. Um, Tomorrowland, you said, was one of your favorite attractions growing up. So it had to be difficult to do the research project process and keep going back and doing more research at your favorite place,
1: (laughs) (laughs) right? What was that like? Well, I couldn't actually go much when I was working on the project. It was all internet search um, at this point because Disneyland was closed for over a year during the pandemic. Um, And so, but there are so many... Disney fans out there that have chronicled every little tiny facet of Disney history and YouTubers that are visiting all the time so I could really keep track of like what I a- it was as up-to-date as possible. But then I made sure when Disney opened again, I went back to <laughs> do some research. <laughs> of course. Do some research is what we
0: call it. Yeah. All right. And in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. More information about the show, more information about our guests can all be found online on social media. Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Rodney Lear on air at Instagram and Twitter. Or you can listen to the show anytime you like. Just go to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear and subscribe there on any podcast service, your favorite podcast service. Now, let's talk more about the book. This morning we're talking to Jeff Cease. He's the author of the book Tomorrowland. Now, one of the more fascinating things about that you write in the book is about how Disneyland was built in just one year and a day. A
1: year and a day. <laughs> year right? and a day. Yeah. I mean, we forget that... You know, you start from scratch, but back then people built things quickly. And um, it was an orange grove, and a year later it had castles and you know pirate ships and all these things. Wow. And um, but the the it started off we would consider it small because that was it. There was no hotels, there was nothing around it. It was in the middle of an orange grove. And the difference between like Disneyland, Disney World is they had a lot more money and time. To build Disney Worlds so they bought a lot more land. Where at Disneyland you eventually got cut in, and so there's hotels and restaurants right outside. That's not Disney. Um, but a year is not a lot of time to, to plan these things. And Tomorrowland, because it didn't have as grand of a or a, a structured as a, of a vision, um, they actually stopped it uh, the construction for a while. They didn't think they were going to get anything done. And after about six months, before they were going to open. Uh, and they said, "Well, no, we we need to do this anyway." And so they they had actually planned to just put like a curtain up and saying, to come soon," uh-huh. um. But they they hammered down and got stuff. They didn't have a lot of early attractions. On Opening day, they only had one real attraction, which is the uh, Autopia. And the Autopia is kind of funny because you you know now we think of. Kids driving around in cars as, well, what's that about Tomorrowland? Well, in 1955, freeway system was still being built and that was – a vision of the future in 1955.
0: Now, when Disneyland opened in 1955, Roy Disney got the first ticket. He paid $1 with all the factors factored in. Disney was still expensive for its day, even though it was just $1. Well,
1: yeah, they didn't have, um, you know, these days you buy a ticket and you buy it for all of the rides. Well, they would have individual ride tickets. They would, so you have a dollar to get in, but then you had to buy a ticket for each thing. So they have different, uh, like how big or fancy the ride is, eventually the e-ticket be kind of became a new uh, part of the our language of a really exciting uh, like thing, and um, you figure out inflation and stuff, and it, it was still around three hundred dollars for you know a family of four to go, which it's a lot more of that now, but there's a lot more at Disneyland and, and Disney World now than there was. Okay, Look 1955. At Look at that inflation, buddy. <laughs> you think a dollar and, and how it now is
0: equivalent. To like three hundred and odd something dollars when you factor in all everything, the ticket prices, the ride prices, and all those things, and for a family of four, because a family of four, I think I read in the book, it was thirty two dollars a right. day.
1: Yeah, it was something like thirty two dollars, which translates to I forget the exact the math in there, but yeah, it's, it's 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 always been expensive, but that's because you know, well, you know, we think of Disney now who buys. Companies for billions of dollars and, and they own everything. It, Disneyland was built for $17 million and they didn't even have it. So they actually had to go to places. And one of the uh, sources for them was to go to uh, TV networks to do a TV series. But NBC and CBS said, no, no, no. It was ABC, which was a kind of the third lesser network at the time. They gambled and um, they actually had co-ownership um of and they were donating something like it was very little in in comparison it was like $250,000 buy-in to, to be a a uh, one of the co-owners of Disneyland and 17 million it was the same price that they paid to build just one land 10 years later and now the new star wars lands that were built um in the last couple of years i think we're a billion dollars a piece that's
0: crazy and again in case you're just tuning in this morning we're speaking to author jeff sees he is the author of the book tomorrow land the past present and future of disney's most changed land i'm rodney lear you're listening to sunday morning magazine now walt disney used the word plussing mm-hmm. what did he
1: mean by that well for him he wanted to uh add on to the experience. And um, if you went to Disneyland once, what makes you want to come again is okay. you need a slightly better, not, not better experience, but more, something new. And you know, to him, Disneyland was never fully finished because he was going to come up with new ideas. Um, within the first 10 years, he actually tore down almost all of Tomorrowland and rebuilt it because the technology was changing. Um, and perfect example of where his vision and moving on to catching up to time is when he had the he had a ride called Rocket to the Moon, um, and 1955 no, there had been no rockets going into space yet. It was before Sputnik, and that was complete science fiction. <laughs> but by 1969, we're actually going to the moon. Well, then an attraction about going to the moon is not as exciting mm-hmm.
0: been <laughs> and there, done futuristic
1: that. yeah we've done that mm-hmm. so they have to go to mars and they can start adding instead of they didn't have even photographs of space so they have a they had a diorama of the moon they had to build the diorama they couldn't they couldn't take a picture of it because there hadn't been any um, but as technology changed as um, nasa develops and all these different um, technologies that frankly Disney was, was anticipating and, you know, they were helping to push the space race. You know, a lot of what uh, got America even excited about it was that not only was there Disneyland, but he had a TV show that he was showing every week on Sunday. a very popular show. And they would push things about going to space was part of the Tomorrowland uh, segments of the show. Now, you write about
0: in the book when Walt Disney wanted to expand, he purchased land in Florida secretly. Right? Yeah. What was that about? Why did he do that? And what was the concept
1: there? Well, originally, uh, he wasn't sure about – he didn't want to make a second Disneyland. um, But he knew that there was – in Florida, um, he could reach to a whole other half of the country that wasn't making it to Disneyland. But he always wanted to do something new. If he had done it before, he wasn't interested. So his real excitement was doing Epcot, um, which was his experimental prototype community of tomorrow – um, and it was actually a planned community. In order to do that, he needed a lot of land. But you can't go and say, hi, I'm Walt Disney. I want to buy <laughs> late acreage. So you would do it in secret. Okay. And so um, – but as the news started coming out, I read recently that the first acre they bought was for $80 an acre. The last acre, once the news came out, was $80,000. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. So it really skyrocketed. Once the news came out. Everyone's going to say, oh, I know who's buying this land. I know it's worth a lot more. So they bought a lot more acreage than they um, – to to kind of insulate it as its own area. And the Epcot idea was his vision for a planned community um, and the amusement park, the, the Magic Kingdom out there was just like the thing to get people to go out there and see it. But unfortunately, um, these plans are going on. The months right before he died. And so without having him as the visionary, the Epcot that they made, while it's really nice, it's kind of like the science World's Fair um, park. It's not really the like living – it was like it was supposed to be a town basically. Um, and it's very different from what he was actually envisioning. You write about Walt Disney's death in, in your book and it seems like it happened quickly. hmm not a lot of people knew that he was ill. No, he didn't even know until uh, very shortly. Um, he, he was a lifelong smoker, um, and he got lung cancer. And um, you know, he he worked so much that when he was slowing down, they didn't think that much of it. Um, and he went and had one lung removed, and they thought that he had another six months to live, and he only had about a month. And he hadn't actually told anyone except his immediate family. So the coworkers. The Imagineers and the Disney workers had no idea that he was sick other than for the last month or so, he'd been slowing down and being a little more um, introspective. So it was a very shocking. And someone who was that active in the day-to-day of the company too.
0: OK. And so he never did really get to
1: see Disney World fully realized no no in fact they hadn't really started um construction yet of disney world um so his brother roy um took on that and roy was going to retire but he decided to build that and kind of a tribute to his brother um and he finished that and he died about six months after disney world opened so it it's very taxing especially at, at that age um it's amazing how much that they got done in such a short short amount of time and in the book, you talk
0: about why it was so important for Roy Disney to have the parks named Walt Disney World with his name.
1: Right. Yeah. He he made the point of that everybody knows the Ford car, but no one knows Henry Ford. So mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure that people knew that this was Walt Disney who had who had done this. All right. Now the
0: illustrations in the book. There's
1: a Jeremy sees any relation? <laughs> what's going yeah,
0: on that, here? that's
1: that's my brother. Um, he's he's an artist. Um, he lives in um Seattle area. Okay. And uh, that was another impetus for doing the project. It was something that he and I could share and talk about. And so he would brainstorm ideas and things. You know, a lot of my Cincinnati history books, I have all these local photos to do. Disney photos are much harder to get licensing <laughs> for. Okay. So we went with an illustration route. And so he did some um, illustrations of different time periods and then the book and then the cover um, where he does kind of a, a collage of the big attractions, which – for me, I, I love this cover. It's, this is my favorite <laughs> <that> <laughs> I've, I've ever worked on. Um, I wanna, I still want to get like a poster of this up in my house. Okay. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun working with him on something because being 3,000 miles away, we don't <laughs> get to coordinate on that kind of stuff much.
0: And again, in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. This morning, we're speaking to Jeff Seese. He's the author of the book Tomorrowland, The Past, Present, and future of Disney's Most Changed Land. Now, you did all the research. We talked about that earlier. But of everything you researched, what was the most surprising thing you found out about Walt Disney himself or Disney World or
1: Tomorrowland? Well, some of the things that surprised me is how many things were brand new that nobody had done before because we are so used to them. Um, the perfect example was the Matterhorn uh, which was a um, – they only have it in California. I have listeners who have never been there and haven't been to Disney World. But it was a – it still is a big mountain looking like one of the Swiss – the Matterhorn mountain in the Swiss Alps um, with a bobsled ride inside. And they realized that they couldn't do a roller coaster in the traditional way of the wooden roller coasters because they wouldn't make the tight enough turns. So they had a company called Aero Development and – who came up with the idea of steel tubes <laughs> – and they invented the first modern roller coaster. Almost all roller coasters now use steel tubes as the track, and that was the very first one. You know, it doesn't not something we think of with the Disney innovations. Um, the Skyway that you know, the Coney Island used to have Skyway, mm-hmm. Kings Island used to have it. The very first one was at Disneyland, um, and it was you saw these gondola rides in Switzerland and, <laughs> and brought it over. Um, the monorail, um, which was a huge—you know—there were there were ideas of monorails for years, um, but there hadn't been a good, successful one except there was one in, in Germany that was a low-hanging one where you had the track above and it would hang underneath, but it would sway a lot. And um, Walt's wife wasn't a fan of that, <laughs> and so they had to come up with a new idea. And he stumbled upon another one. It was a Swiss builder in Germany. Um, named Allweg was the company, and they uh, they saw this, and he went to his his um, big imagineer. And this is <laughs> how different times were. There was a guy named Bob Gir, who was hired when he was 23 years old to help design the Autopia cars, and he was a, it was a car designer, but he was an artist, not an engineer. <laughs> But he ended up working on just about everything that moves at Disneyland and the Disney parks. He, he helped create the uh, – the monor- he was basically given – this is what they've done with the monorail, make our own. So he came up with that. He helped with the uh, – he had to design the track for the, for the Matterhorn having never taken – trigonometry or anything he had to teach himself trig in order to design these roller coasters Uh, he worked on audio animatronics um the the abraham lincoln um used at the world's fair all these different things and this is a guy who was just every day they gave him a new thing saying can you do this sure i'll figure out how to do this and uh um, thankfully he's actually one of the the last of the original imagineers that's still alive and so that we get to you know, hear interviews and things with him all the time, and he's got uh, great stories about. Then there's the time he accidentally <laughs> kidnapped uh, Nixon, Vice President Nixon. Oh, wow. And they were on the uh, monorail, and he drove off of the monorail uh, with the uh, Vice President and his wife and family on it, and the Secret Service were, hadn't been on. And he just drove off, and they were chasing after the monorail, having inadvertently <laughs> uh, kidnapped the, the Vice President. <laughs>
0: All right. What, you kind of touched on this, but what were some of the major lessons that Disney team that they learned from the early days that of Tomorrowland that are evident in the attractions that we see today?
1: Well, they were coming up with a lot of new ideas, uh, like, like how to get people onto rides. Um, there was a, a uh, Walt and one of his uh, um, Imagineers went to the Ford plant in uh, Michigan. And they noticed they had this like a conveyor belt that would you'd put on like these parts that would move along, and uh, especially like things that were hot. And Walt said, "Could we put a vehicle on that?" <laughs> and they, "Sure, I'm sure some of our guys can figure out how to do that." <laughs> so they did, and that was eventually became the People Mover, or also the same technology was the um, the ride, the movers for like Haunted Mansion, and. That was a way of getting instead of having to walk through a ride, is you could get high. It was, it's a continuously moving ride that people would step on and get on, and you see that still and in, in, you know all of our par- parks, not just in Disney, that that technology. And he was a visionary for looking at something and saying, could we do something else and make that work for us. <laughs> And that's, you know, having this entire research and development department of Imagineering where they um, they just look at things differently and they say, how can we do this? Uh, Star Tours, I mentioned that was my favorite, um, that was taking a flight simulator and adapting it with a brand new film and, and the motion and stuff and not being a training tool for pilots, but instead to be a, a an attraction for people to be on. You know, that changed so that you weren't – Having to build like a huge roller coaster track, you could build a room on stilts <laughs> that could move around, and you have like unlimited use of with the screens of what you do with that. Nice, nice.
0: All right. Well, it's all fascinating. If our listeners would like to find out more about the book Tomorrowland, they would like to get a copy of the book. How can they do so, Jeff?
1: Um, you know, Amazon, of course, has everything. Um, you can also order uh, for me on my website, That You can even get an autographed copy that way. All right. There you go. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I assume anywhere – Good books are are sold. sold. There you go. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Good to see
0: you again. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Rodney. We've been speaking to Jeff Cease. Again, the title of the book is Tomorrowland, The Past, Present, and Future of Disney's Most Changed Land. I'm Rodney Lear. Until next week, be encouraged. Listen to Sunday Morning Magazine no matter what day it is. Use your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear today.